You know, um, you've maybe heard this uh, story before, but I'm just going to share it. Maybe you haven't heard it. If you haven't, it's a powerful story. Uh, Horatio Gates Spafford, he's a businessman who lived in Chicago with his wife, Anna. Both Horatio and his wife, Anna, were known for their strong, very strong Christian testimony and their service to others. They were also friends of the world-famous evangelist Dwight L. Moody, who also resided in Chicago. They were blessed with five incredible children and considerable wealth. And Horatio was a lawyer uh, and owned a great deal of property in his home city. Now, not unlike Job in the Bible of the Old Testament, though, tragedy came in great measure to this happy home. When four years old, their son Horatio Jr. passed away from the scarlet fever. Then one year later, in October of 1871, a massive fire swept through downtown Chicago, devastating the city uh, and including many properties owned by Horatio. That day, almost 300 people lost their lives and around 100,000 were made homeless. Despite their own substantial financial loss, the Spaffords sought to demonstrate the love of Christ by assisting those who were grief-stricken and in great need. Two years later, in 1873, Spafford decided his family should take a holiday in England, knowing that his friend D.L. Moody would be there doing a great preaching conference in, in, in the fall. So Horatio was delayed, though, because of business, so he sent his family on ahead. His wife and their four remaining children, all daughters, Anna, 11 years old, uh, Margaret Lee, 9 years old, uh, Elizabeth, 5 years old, and Tanette, 2 years old. And they got on this boat and they head overseas. The date was the 22nd of November, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on the steamship Valdu Harve, their vessel was struck by an iron sailing ship. 226 people lost their lives as the Valdu Harve sank within only 12 minutes. All four of Horatio Spafford's daughters perished, but remarkably, Anna Spafford survived the tragedy. She was rescued from a floating plank and subsequently arrived in Cardiff, South Wales. Upon arrival there, Anna immediately sent a telegram to her husband, which included the words, Saved Alone. Horatio left immediately to be with his wife. As, as the story goes, it was while crossing the Atlantic that, that uh, when he came to the exact area where the ship carrying his daughters had sunk, that Horatio went out to the deck, looked into the sea, and penned these very lyrics. We sang them this morning. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. This morning, we can, as we continue our series, The Power of Worship, I want to talk about deliberate worship. I want to talk about deliberate worship. Uh, but deliberate worship, live in the moment. If we're going to live in the moment, if, if we're going to transform today, then there will be times when we have to be deliberate, even obstinate, when it comes to our worship. This is work, week three of our series, The Power of Worship. We're talking about the reality of how powerful worship can be in our life every single day uh, that we live. And it's built on this, 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 this idea, and so we can... Um, you can take the screen off if you want. Huh? Oh, okay. Very good. Okay. <laughs> Just kind of throw me for a loop there. Okay. 
Very good. But it's built on this premise of this idea of lifestyle worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says it this way, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship, And so this verse speaks to the idea that worship is more than a single action. It is a lifestyle that is rooted within our very heart. And we need to understand that. Uh, again, I put this table on your handouts. You can see this for reference. And it kind of, th- there's nothing special about this table. It's my feeble attempt to take the different components that we could say comprise lifestyle worship and kind of put them together in, and, 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 and see how they work together. So there's gratitude and trust. It's like worship is gratitude on one side and it's trust on the other side. And it's a response to this incredible mercy of God. By, by the mercies of God, I am grateful and I trust you and and then underneath gratitude there is thanksgiving and adoration and contentment under trust there is surrender and obedience and righteousness because these these two ideas are so they're such broad words but then the reality is the deliberate side of our worship comes when I take my gratitude and my trust and I express it through the songs that I sing the testimony I declare the prayers I offer and my response to scripture so that's the, the reality there. Now, here's the thing. We, we talk often, again, lifestyle worship. Worship is more than the songs we sing. It's more than the prayers that we pray. That's, that's true. And, and, but here's the reality. Worship is more than the songs that we sing. It's more than all that. But it's not less than the songs and, and our prayers. It's not less than that. It includes that. It's being deliberate. Worship is expressing my gratitude. It's expressing my trust. It's expressing those things deep within me. This morning, we're going to look at deliberate worship in Psalms chapter 9. In Psalms chapter 9, and, and we read some of these scriptures earlier, but just listen to the deliberate nature of worship here by David in Psalms 9, verse 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O most Hi. Note David's declaration there. I will. I will do these things. Now, why is this important? It's important for a couple of reasons. One, it's really easy to take God's blessings for granted, isn't it? We're blessed immensely, and we can just take all of our blessings, all of those spiritual blessings you read about in Ephesians, and just take them for granted. And then it's also important because sometimes in the middle of our adversity, in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our pain, it's easy to lose sight of the presence of God. And we said that one of the things that worship does, last week when we worship, it reminds us of God's presence. It reminds us how close He is. And then it's also important because in the middle of our success and our prosperity, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that, yeah, I really do need God. Yeah, things are going good, but that doesn't mean I don't need God. And when things are going good, we can lose sight of our dependence upon Him. So it's very important that we have this deliberate nature that that I say, I will declare these things. I will believe these things. I will trust. I will be grateful. Now, we're in Psalms chapter 9 here. And, uh, and so the context of Psalms chapter 9 is that this is written by David after his epic battle, after his epic uh, encounter with Goliath. Uh, and, uh, and so this is what, this, this, what he's thinking of when he writes Psalms chapter 9. 
pretty powerful to stop and think about that reality. And, uh, and, and the story of David and Goliath, we know the story of David and Goliath, right? So there's this giant Goliath, and he comes out every day for 40 days, and he challenges, he, he's fighting for the Philistines, and he comes out and challenges the army of Israel, and he mocks their God, and he defies their God, and he, and he challenges them, and all of the, ar- the whole entire army, in fact, the king himself, there's this king, he, he looks like a king's king. He looked like, David didn't look like a king. Saul, he looked like a king. And even Saul, even Saul cowered in fear. And along comes David to the battlefield that day. It's been 40 days of this. David hears Goliath start mocking his God, defying his God. And he says, hey, it's enough of that. We're going we're, we're to put an end to that. And so David goes out and fights Goliath. And we said last week the reason why David went out and fought Goliath was that while the rest of the army and while the king looked at the size of Goliath, David... And, and consider that Goliath was probably maybe as much as three times the size of Goliath. David didn't look at the size of Goliath. He looked at the size of God, who was infinitely greater, who had immeasurably so much more power. And that is what enabled David to go out and take down Goliath. And then David comes back, and he's very deliberate to come back and to worship God and to give God his props, to give God his due. This is God that fought this battle. Pretty amazing. So if you look in the text, you'll see that David responds through these two legs of worship. In verse 1, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. So he's, he's worshiping through gratitude. And then down in verse 10, and those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And he's worshiping God through trust. In fact, he says, those... How does he say that again? He says, O Lord, uh, the, you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. That, that word seek, it means search. By implication, it means to worship you. That those who worship God, he will not fail them. He will not abandon them. He will not let them down. As I said last week, everybody worships something. What do you worship? And the world is full of people that worship all kinds of things that repeatedly fail them. If you worship the one true God, if you put your trust in Him, He will not fail you. That's just a fact. And so our big idea today says it like this. Here's the thing. Here's the big idea, and we're going to go through this psalm then. But it's simply this. While we can't always choose our circumstances, we can choose our response. We can't always choose the circumstances we go through in life, but we can choose our response. We can choose to worship. We can choose to be deliberate in our worship. We can, like David, say, I will declare. I will be grateful. I will trust. I will believe. I will have hope. So here's four things today, four examples of deliberate worship. Psalms chapter 9, verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Here's the first, uh, the first point today. I will because you have. I will because you have. And what is David saying is, I will uh, worship you because you have been faithful to me and you have delivered me. And when he went out there and fought Goliath, God certainly went out there and fought for him. And so David starts this psalm. David starts his worship by looking back to the wonderful deeds of God. And when he does, he sees the fingerprints and the blessings of God all 
over his life. And if you'll look back, you will see those things as well. Look at verse, listen to verses 3 through 6 and just get the sense here of, of looking back. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. The cities you ruled out the very memory of them has perished can you see where David is looking yes David is looking up in worship but he is also looking back he's also looking back I will worship you because you have been faithful you are you have been just you have been righteous you have been trustworthy you have been good you have defeated the, the most fiercest enemy I could have ever faced verse 6 is a bit of a curious verse David says the very memory of his enemy has been defeated. Now, what does that mean? The very memory of my enemy has been defeated. Well, he remembers him here, right? He's, he, he remembers his enemy here. Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, you defeated my enemy. And you know what? He doesn't scare me anymore. I don't really ever think about him. I don't think about him until I deliberately choose to look back and say, what has God done for me? And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember Remember that enemy? He took care of that enemy. He took care of that problem. He took care of that situation. I forgot all about that till I was deliberate to look back and say, what has God done for me? Pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. Think about David's chronology. So think about when David looks back what, he, what he's going to see. And these are approximate ages that could swing a year or two either way. But when he was about 11 years old, the prophet Samuel comes to his house and anoints him to be the next king to take over for Saul. That's probably why he didn't take over immediately. He was only 11 years old. But he was anointed at, at age 11. At age 13, he went out and played guitar for Saul. If you remember that part of his story. And he would soothe Saul, who had a troubled spirit. And he would play the guitar and Saul would be comforted. It was about that time when he was out tending sheep when a bear and a, a, a lion attacked him. And he defeated them with his bare hands. No pun intended. That was about age 13. It was about the age of 16 when he went out there to that battlefield and took down Goliath. He's not very old. He's pretty young. And he's looking back at his life as here he is writing this out and saying, look at what God has done for me and through me. God has been incredible. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Now, here's what you have to understand this morning then. Sometimes in order to look up, we have to look back first. We have to look back and remind ourselves of God's faithfulness, of what God's done in our life, of where God has brought us to. Two weeks ago, we talked about the value of the Old Testament, right? How it's valuable to us today because it shows us that God has a history shows us God's history with humanity. It shows us God's power in the past. It's incredible. The thing is, and we can't miss this, God doesn't only have a history with humanity. Let me tell you this morning, in case you, you lose sight of it, God, you have a history with God. Did you know that? You have a history with God. And sometimes we need to stop and look back at this history we have with God. Believers, we have a history with God. 
you were saved and then this adventure began with you and God. And he has been constantly working in you, on you, and through you. He has been growing and completing you. Here's how Paul says it in Philippians chapter 1. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Quite often the experiences of those great saints in the Bible are just the same experiences you and I have. No, God didn't maybe part a Red Sea for us, a literal Red Sea that we walked through on dry ground. But God has certainly delivered us from the enemy, delivered us from our fears, and delivered us from slavery to sin. No, we didn't go out and fight a literal 12-foot giant like Goliath, like David did, but God has certainly been a giant killer in our life. He has slayed many giants, the the giants of fear and sin, self-esteem, all those things. He has come and conquered those things for us in our life, most notably the enemy. So many times the experiences of those in the Bible are the same as our experiences. Just understand that sometimes to worship, we have to look back before we can look up. Now there is a little bit of a clarification coming here. There's a bit of an obstacle to that. What about those people who have a hard time looking back. Here's what David said, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Think about your heart this morning. We, we are body, soul, and spirit. We worship God from our soul. That's who we are. That's where my will is. It's where my emotions are. And think about your heart. The heart really is the seed of our emotions. The heart really is the center of our soul. The heart is the center of our psyche. I will worship you with my whole heart means I'll worship you with my whole being. But here's, here's the problem. Sometimes it can be hard to look back or even look up when our heart is deeply wounded. When we've gone through things in the past and we're hurting, when we've been mistreated, when we've been abused, when there's incredible pain and and we're like, why did God allow that to happen to me? And sometimes it is really, really, really hard to look back. We got something extremely painful that's in our life and, and it's just difficult to look back. So what's the answer to that? You have to be deliberate to look back and process that pain. You got to be deliberate to look back and say, you know what? If I look back, I'll find God. If you look back, you will find God. He said, anybody who puts their trust in you, you you will not let them down. If they seek after you, you will not fail them. If you look back into your past and you process that pain and that that, that, that hurt and that, that abuse, whatever it is, if you process it, I'm telling you, you'll eventually find God in there. You'll see that He was there the whole time, that He was carrying you through that difficulty, carrying you through that hardship. And again, that's what I just said, verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. God will meet you in the middle of your pain and your brokenness and your hurt. And he will show you where he was all of the time. In fact, here's the ultimate understanding. So you might say, people might push back and say, I'm sorry. When I look back, I don't see God. And you know what the answer to that is? You're just not looking back far enough. Because sometimes we have to look all the way back 2,000 years ago to the cross. We look back to the cross and we find out there is a God who identified with my pain. There is a God who took on my shame and my sin and my guilt and my hurt and everything, all the injustices done to me. He bore them in his body so that I could find forgiveness and healing 
and hope in this broken world. Sometimes we just need to look back a little bit farther. We need to be deliberate then in our declaration of the gospel. I will sing my praise because you have defeated my enemy. I will sing my praise because you have given me new life. Think about the cross again. Right? The cross where Christ defeated our enemy. Christ defeated all those those ugly things, defeated all the accusations and all their... And then the empty tomb, we come out of that empty tomb and we leave some things in the grave. We leave some things in the grave. Christ went down into hell and then he came up. He came out of the grave and left some things down there. We need to leave some things in the grave and realize we have a new life in Christ of healing and hope and joy. So, first affirmation here today first really really just a kind of ex, ex, expression of this deliberate worship is i will because you have i will be grateful because you have been faithful here's the second one look at verse two i will be glad and exult in you i will sing praise to your name O most high here's the second one i will because you are i will because you are and, and look at verses 7 through 12 a minute and just get the kind of the present tense sense here. But the Lord sits enthroned. He sits enthroned right now. He sits enthroned. Yes, forever, but He sits enthroned right now. He has established His throne for justice and He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is right now a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. I will worship because you are. I will worship because you are God. I will worship because you are a stronghold in my life right now today. And again, yes, he he sits enthroned forever, but understand that forever includes right now. When you're saved, you get eternal life. And eternal life starts when? The moment you're saved. You were in Adam and dead, and now you're in Christ. You're alive and you have eternal life. That's why you can't lose it. That's why you can't go back to being in Adam. No, you can't die spiritually a second time. You're in Christ. You have eternal life. It begins at that moment. It doesn't begin when you die. It begins now. And I will worship you because you are. Here's a a few things we can pick out of this here specifically about who God is right now. I will worship you because you are sovereign. That's one way he's identified in the present. David speaks of this throne, that God sits on this throne, that Christ is this ruler, and he's sitting on it right now. He is actually right now sitting on the throne. Now, it is true that Satan has some rule and authority in this world. He's the God of this age, the prince of the power of this world. God has given him some present day authority. I don't know why God did that, but I'm not God. And the reality is, today I worship God because He is sovereign. You know, this idea of sovereignty, sometimes people, they they misunderstand it. There's this this common thing I hear sometimes in this modern sort of thinking. Someone goes through a difficulty and people are like, um, well, God had a reason for that. Yeah, they go th- you, know, they, you know, Horatio goes through that incredible thing and loses his four daughters and some people's attitude is like, well, God had a reason for sinking that ship. 
and taking my four kids. And that's just not the way it works. God doesn't sink ships and God doesn't do bad things to us. He just doesn't. That's not the way it works. That's not the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. God is control. God can stop that ship from sinking. And he doesn't stop every bad thing from happening. But that doesn't mean that he makes those bad things happen. And many times people today go around and that's kind of the rat. They go through a crisis and they're like, well, God had a reason for doing this to me. No, God didn't do it to you. It's the evil, broken, sin-filled world that we live in. But, and, and God has given some, God has given some authority to Satan today. There is a difference between God finding a purpose in something and God being the reason for something. Big difference there. And I know it, sometimes it's hard to differentiate that because it's like, well, God, you could have stopped it. Yeah, he could have. God has given some authority to Satan today. And I don't know the, the rules of, of all that. I don't know how that all works. Horatio's wife, Anna, after she was rescued, she was heard saying this, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. See, there's a fine line between saying God took my four kids and, and God allowed that to happen. And someday I'll understand why he allowed it to happen. Doesn't mean God took them. Didn't mean God was responsible for those kids being taken. We can worship because God does indeed rule today. He is sovereign in the world today, but that doesn't mean that He makes every decision for every person. His sovereignty includes our free will. I will worship because you are worthy. There's something fascinating in here. Again, we have this picture of a throne. It's not just any throne, but the throne that rules over the heavens and the earth. This is eternity's throne. This is the ultimate throne. This is the king of all king that we sang about today. And you see, we worship him because he is worthy. He is the only one worthy to sit on that throne. He's the only one worthy to break open the scrolls, we read in Revelations. But there's something very profound in Psalms 9, verse 2. Listen to what he says. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, <clears throat> Most High. Know what David says there and what he doesn't say. David doesn't simply say, I will exalt you. And David says that many times throughout the Psalms. I will exalt you. Let us exalt his name together. But that's not what David's saying here. David's saying something deeper here. David's saying, I will exalt in you. What's the difference? Look at Philippians chapter 2, 9. Listen to this. Speaking of Christ, after he came out of the grave and ascended to heaven, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the Father exalts the Son, and there's coming a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, including the likes of Hitler, will bend his knee and exalt Jesus Christ as the one true God. But he's not going to exalt in him. He's not going to rejoice in him. And so what, what is so profound here is David is saying, I will exalt in Christ. And what is that? To exalt in Christ is to find our worth in Christ. To find our worth in Christ. I heard a word several years ago. I think it's profound. It's called worth-ship. It's when we find our worth in who we worship. We, we find our worth in Christ. He is my worth. 
You see, it's easy to find our worth, to look for our worth in any number of things today. Our career, our kids, our marriage, our hobbies, our bank accounts, our possessions, our reputation, our talents, our good works, our volunteerism, you name it. We can come up with all kinds of things to find our worth from that will all fail us. All of our good deeds, all of our good works, all of our good intentions, they will all fail us. There is only one name under heaven which we can put our worth in not be disappointed again verse 10 and those who know your name put their trust in you for you O lord have not forsaken those who seek you when we trust god and find our worth in him we will never be disappointed he will never fail us so i can worship god because he's sovereign because he's worthy and i can worship god because he is personal and, and tucked away in this psalm, and you can miss it if you're not thinking about it, but nine different times David invokes the personal name of God. Remember, anytime you see Lord in the text, and it is capitalized, that's referring to Yahweh, the personal name of God. He mentions it in verse 2, again, I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And nine times in the psalm, you'll find Lord. <clears throat> The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed in, in verse 9. A stronghold in times of trouble. And look through it today. Read through it today and look for all the different times. You see that name Lord, which is Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. It means the great I am, the self-existent God. And that's why, as I've said many times, <clears throat> if you take that name, you'll find it combined with another attribute of God in Scripture and you will find a hundred plus names for God throughout the Bible. We talked about that earlier, I think, in, in, within this last year. And we talked about that very situation. So you take all these attributes of God. Here's the key to understand, okay? So all of these attributes of God. God is this personal God. He is Yahweh, the self-existent God. He is the righteous God and He is the God who sees and He is the God who is there and all of these different attributes and names for God that we talk about and they're all aimed at us. All these attributes are aimed at us. In, in, in other words, it's like this. You are my righteousness. You are my forgiveness. You are my deliverance. You are my glory. You are my treasure. You are my hope. You are my joy. I will find my worth in you. And, and you're a personal God and all those attributes are aimed at me. You're the just God and you are my justice. You are the righteous God and you are my righteousness. You're the God who delivers and you have delivered me. And I love verse 16, even in this text, the Lord, it says, again, Yahweh has made himself known. God wants you to know him. <clears throat> in fact, he wants you to know him by as many names as possible. And in fact, the better we know God, the more we will trust God, the more we trust God, the deeper our worship of God, and the deeper my worship of God, the more fulfilling my life will be. I will because you have, I will because you are, and number three, I will because you will. I will worship you because you will. Again, verse seven, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. The Lord sits on this throne, eternity's throne, ruling over eternity. And I will worship you because you will always rule. I worship you because when it comes to the future, you're already there. When it comes to tomorrow, you're already there. You know it's going to happen. Verses 13 through 20, just 
just kind of get a bit of the future tense sense. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughters of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. I may rejoice. That the, mm, that the nations have sunk in the pit that they have made and the net they have hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Higian Selah. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God, for the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men, Selah. And there's just simply a time coming when justice will be served, when God will make the evil pay for their evil deeds. There's coming a day when the poor will realize their hope, when the adversity of this world will be put to rest once and for all. And we worship because there is this day coming. He speaks about a day of salvation. Well, the day of salvation was the day he defeated Goliath, right? Yeah. But that Goliath just simply points to a greater enemy, a greater war, a greater battle between God and Satan. And there is a day of salvation. And we have been saved, yes. And we are being saved today, yes. And we will be saved, yes. One day our salvation will be complete. We'll get our glorified bodies and we'll go to heaven for glory. Wow. So two ways. I will worship you because you will keep your word. We know that God will keep his word. And we talked about this two weeks ago in Hebrews, a few weeks back. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. God made that promise to himself again. That he would send a Messiah, that he would send a Savior. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. Our soul can worship because we have a God who always keeps his word. He will keep his word. One day his throne of justice will certainly bring justice and judgment to this world and one day we'll be ushered into glory. What an incredible day that will be. And then I will worship you because you will complete your work. You will complete your work. He will complete his work in me. He, 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 will, um, <clears throat> he will keep his word to me and complete his work in me. He will keep the gospel for me and complete the gospel in me. I will worship you because you will complete my work. Read it earlier, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The gospel, he'll complete it one day. He'll, he'll complete it in me. And I worship you because you will. You will do these things. I know you'll do these things. You will keep <clears throat> your word. In the midst of a storm, a little bird was clinging to the limb of a tree. Seemingly calm and unafraid as the wind tore at the limbs of the tree, the bird continually continued to look at the storm in the, in the face as if to say, shake me off. I still have wings. Because of Christ's resurrection, each Christian can look to the experiences of death in the face and confidently say, shake me off. I still have wings. I'll live anyway. We know eternity awaits us. 
Robert Lewis and Stevens writes this in My Heart Sings. The stars shine over the mountains. The stars shine over the sea. The stars look up to the mighty God. The stars look down on me. The stars shall last for a million years, a million years in a day. But God and I will live in love when the stars have passed away. I will because you have. I will because you are. I will because you will. And I want to end by by bringing this one last time into the New Testament. Let's bring this into the present day, into the New Testament, and, and just look at this idea of our worship today. I will because you have, you are, you will. But look at this one in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So here's the last one. I will because you have, I will because you are, I will because you will, and I will because I am. I will because I am. I will worship you because I am, because I am able, because I am holy and acceptable, because on this side of the cross, I am able to worship you. You know, there's one, there's one sort of layer to this psalm. I didn't talk about it a lot. But if you read through the psalm, you'll kind of get hints of the gospel here and there. One verse in particular I'll draw your attention to here in a minute. But why would this gospel have hints of, why would this psalm have hints of the gospel in it? Because it is the story of David and Goliath. And what is the story of David and Goliath? It is the story of the gospel. It is the story of Jesus Christ, who is the true giant killer. The story of David, David and Goliath is not just about me defeating my giants. It is about Christ coming down and defeating the ultimate giant, which was the enemy, Satan, and sin, and death, and hell. And he defeated those giants that were overwhelming to us. He conquered them. And so understand that about the story. But let me just show you this. Psalms 9, verse 3. Here's one verse in this psalm. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. And that reminds me of one simple story in the gospel. And it's the night that Jesus is, erected, is arrested. And, he's, and, and, and these, these soldiers, these Roman soldiers, these centurions come out. There's probably 300 of them or more. And they all come, with, they all come out with um, Lazarus. And Lazarus comes up and betrays Jesus. They come to arrest him. And listen to what he says here, because this is one of my most, this is one of the coolest places in all of Scripture. Just listen to this. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers, John 13, verse 3. Having procured uh, a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went, went there with ladders and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. And and you know what's um, beautiful about that? Jesus says, I am he. And what's so incredible is that back in the original Greek, the word he is not there. The, the, the King James inserted that, all the other translations inserted that, so we could simply make more sense of it. But what Jesus really says is basically he says, who are you seeking? They, they, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus says, I am. And they all fall over. They all hit the ground. 
Isn't that amazing? And we see that right there in Psalm 9, verse 3. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. And all of these, all of these soldiers just fall to the ground in the presence of the mighty one. How amazing is that? So here's, here's the implication. Think about this. We said, I will worship because you are. I will exalt in you, right? And we said what that meant was that I will find my worth in you. I will find my worth in you and you, you know, you are my justice and my righteousness and my forgiveness and my deliverance and my glory, and my treasure and my hope and my joy. But here's what, we're, here's the, what we want to see at the very end here today. Let's bring this all in. Because here we're saying that I will worship not just because you are, I will worship because I am. And that doesn't mean that I will find my worth in you. It means I will find your worth in me. Think about the implication of that. I will find, it's not just that I will find my worth in you and that you are going to be my justice and righteousness and, and, and deliverance and glory and whatnot in this world. It's that I will find your worth inside of me. Why is that important? What's the implication of that? The implication of that is then this. This is my declaration of praise today. I I will be your justice. I will be your righteousness. I will be your forgiveness and your love and your glory and your peace and your hope and your joy and your truth in this world. I worship because I am able to worship. I find your worth in me because Christ indwells me. You see, the story of David and Goliath, it's not a story about me, but it is a story about Christ in me, about the ultimate giant slayer who lives in me. And my greatest declaration of praise can be to stand up and simply answer this question, I will be your whatever. What are you going to be this week for God? What declaration of praise would you make this morning to say this week, I will be your. Let's take 20 seconds of silence. I want you to answer that question right now in your heart. This week, I will be your. I worship you because I am, because I am able. Let's close our eyes and just answer that to ourselves this morning. This week, I will be your. Anybody want to stand up and publicly make your declaration like we did last week before we leave here today? Let me stand up, just remain standing and say, I will be your, I'll start it out, I will be your testimony this week. I will be your testimony. Okay. Stand up and stay standing, then we're going to sing one last song together. I will be your I'll be your servant. Anybody else? What would you put in that blank? I'll be your love. You can say the same thing somebody else said. You, you, you said it in your heart. You answered that question in your heart. What did you answer just a moment ago? I will be your... 
Thank you so much, Bella. Somebody else. Amen. Very good. Thank you. You are his good work. I'll be your servant. Amen. I'll be your peace. Hey, that is the one of the best. That, seriously, you cannot undersell that. We need to say that. I'll be your empty vessel. What do you want? Anybody else? I'll be your love. Very good. I'll be your love. Amen. Very good. Very good. Don't want to cut anybody off. That is awesome. That is. That is, that is a great, I will be your daughter. That is awesome. And we, the world needs to see that that's the kind of God we have that has children. And that he is our brother, as somebody mentioned before the service to me today. Okay, let's sing this last song. <clears throat> we got to sing this song to close today just because it... May you remind us to look back so we can look up. May you remind us that you are right now a stronghold in times of trouble. May you remind us that you are faithful to your word and faithful to your work within us. And Lord, remind us that you are as close as our heart.